don't know what you think about those words. I don't know what you think of when you think of what happens next. When we think about hope, when we think about yesterday, well, things I hoped for yesterday, or at least earlier in my life, once upon a time I hoped that I'd get a train set. I'm not so fussed about getting a train set now. Things have changed. My life has changed. There might be some people, if Peter was here, perhaps he'd say he still wanted a train set. (laughs) My hopes for today, well, I hope today, or at least in the kind of near future, I've got certain things that I hope for. I hope that, well, some of you might be hoping I don't talk for too long because as Sonia said earlier on Christmas Day, she hopes that the sermon's not too long because she doesn't want the turkey to burn. Well, maybe you today are hoping I don't talk for too long because you've got something in the oven, there's people you've got to see, or you're thinking, well, if, I'm, if I've got to come out this evening as well for a carol service, I don't want to be at church all day, so I hope he doesn't talk too long this morning. I hope the service isn't too long this evening because I, I do my quota. Do my qu- I've got my quota of church time. And I don't want any more than that. Perhaps that's your hope. Perhaps you're hoping that we'll <laughs> sing your favourite Christmas carol tonight. And I'll say, well, we shouldn't be singing Christmas carols tonight. We should be singing Advent carols tonight. Because Christmas doesn't start until Christmas Day. And then we'll have carols for the 12 days that follow. <laughs> it's all right. I don't restrict myself to those rules in that way. I was challenged by Ben and Henry earlier saying, are we going to sing that song that you're only allowed to sing the first four verses on because the last verse talks about Christmas Day. You can't sing the final verse until Christmas Day. I said, I can sing whenever I want. Who's to say when I can sing it? Because actually, Christmas Day, as we celebrate, wasn't the day on which Jesus was actually born. I mean, if, we're gonna, if you want to go theological, he was in the beginning and will be at the end. But when he was born as a baby, well it wasn't on the 25th of December and as the song that we've sang that's a bit of fun that says I don't care if it snows because if it was cold on the very first Christmas then Jesus would have got cold in a manger, lying in a stable. Well actually if you read the story you can work out it wouldn't have been December because December even in Bethlehem is pretty cold and the shepherds wouldn't have been out on the fields at night at that time of year. They'd have been snuggled up somewhere. They'd have been keeping the sheep warm. (laughs) So if we were going to celebrate Christmas and things, we should do it in the spring. We do it now because when the early Christians that came to the UK went, oh, there's this, it's a cold time of year and there's this pagan festival that happens and all this. Do you know what we should do as an evangelistic opportunity? Let's take over that festival and we'll make it Jesus' birthday. There we go. So... And now we complain that it's being taken over by others. Well, we only stole it in the first place. For good reasons, obviously. But maybe we should move Christmas. Maybe that's your hope. We should have Christmas at a warmer time of year. Got friends in Australia that are finding it very strange, even though they've been there for years now, that are going, we don't have, it's warm and sunny and I'm wearing shorts at Christmas. It's all a bunch, it's very strange. I don't know what it's like in Nigeria or Ghana. Perhaps it's warm there too. Perhaps it's colder than it would normally be, but still boiling. I don't know. And when we think of our hopes for the kind of now, they're, they're different. Maybe you've got hopes for the future that are kind of one day type hopes. That are kind of 
One day I would like to, now some of you are a little bit older than I am, just a little bit, so I've got hopes of things that I might like to do in the future. One day I hope to, one day I hope to go back to America to visit friends there. Now I feel I've got a reasonable chance that that may happen because I'm physically well enough. I mean, financially it might not work out very soon because I've chosen to be a pastor uh, and I didn't go into that for the money. But that's okay. But I, I can see that at some point in the future I might go back to the States and visit friends that I have there and family that I have there. One day, I don't know why I've got this hope that one day I'll write a book. I don't know why I want to write a book. I don't know where that's come from, but somewhere along the lines I thought, that would be a good thing to do. I think I, I could do that. I'm going off it as I write my essays at the moment. But I think, no, that would be a nice thing. I think it's that I'd like to say that I'm an author. It sounds nice, doesn't it? Oh, yes, no, I'm an author. Richard Blakelog, author and pastor. Very good. And it's probably from that. It's probably a completely selfish thing, but it sounds good for me. I don't know. There's a bit of me, though. And I think those things are possible. There's some other things. When I was a child, I wanted to be an artist. And so I like to do artistic things occasionally. I don't think I'm ever going to have an exhibition in the Tate or in the National Gallery. That hope, it's not a real one that I really hope will happen. I mean, there's a bit of me that's still the kind of 10-year-old me that thinks that would be nice. There's a bit of me that still thinks it would be fun to be a rock star. I don't think that's going to happen. So some hopes come and some hopes go. And some are easier to think about because I think about, actually, if I don't ever write a book, well doesn't really matter. But there's other hopes that I have for the future that are far more important. There's the hopes I have for my children, for my family. And if, if they don't get fulfilled, how will, I, how will I feel? There's hopes of people I might see again. I've got really good intentions about writing to people and every year it gets around to Christmas card writing time. And my wife is really good at writing them. I'm less good at writing them. But that should be a really good opportunity because there's like a prompt to go, you can write to those people that you've not been in touch with that you said you were going to be. And I think one day I hope I'll, I'll do that. And as the years pass, I think, mm, possibly it won't. I've got hopes for some of you. In fact, I've got hopes for all of you as funny as that might sound. My hope for each of you is, well, one is that you'll continue to grow in your knowledge and love of Jesus. One is that you will do that in a way that is you, that you won't try and be somebody else and go, well, if only I was, if I was a bit more like Wendy, because Wendy, Wendy plays the piano. And so if I was, a, if I was able to play the piano in church like Wendy does, then that would be great because my relationship with God would be better. I don't hope that you get to do that. I hope Wendy can do it for as long as she can and I know sometimes she struggles because it hurts her fingers. But I hope that you know Jesus as you're supposed to know him, that you, that you grow as you, as God made you. And if you're Nigerian, you get to be Nigerian and love Jesus. If you're British, then we'll be British and we'll know Jesus that way. 
But I hope that you personally will grow. I hope that we will grow and we'll know each other better and more deeply. And our relationship with Jesus will change and develop because of the relationships we have with one another. I hope that the people that you love, that you have a hope for that you think, if only they knew Jesus, if only they knew God, if only, I, I pray and I hope that you will get to see that happen. I, I hope that you get to plant some seeds of joy, of hope, of faith. And even if you don't get to see it in this life, that, that one day when we're in heaven, whatever that looks like, you will be greeted by somebody that goes, Rosemary! And you're going, what are you doing here? Well, I never, I mean, I prayed for you, but I never expect you, goodness me. Bill! And Bill will go, who are you? And someone will say, well, do you remember? You used to stand outside St Matthew's church and you gave out little leaflets. And nobody else did and some people thought, well, no one's ever going to come to faith through that. Some people thought, what a waste of time. But you were committed. Well, Bill, you gave me a flyer. And, you, and there'll be a line of people going, he gave me one too, and me. And I read it. And there was something that triggered something in me. But it was 10 years later. It was 20 years. I don't know. Maybe that's a hope and a vision that you've got. Maybe you struggle to think that and see beyond the kind of struggles you've got now. I don't know what your vision of heaven and hell and what happens next is. We had an interesting discussion uh, a few weeks ago on a Thursday evening. We have discourse, and I, in, in January we're going to do something slightly different with it, but for the last few months we've basically been asking the question, what do you believe? What do you believe? Which started a little bit hesitantly, because I think people thought it might be a trick question. Am I going to be caught out by saying the wrong thing? Surely the answer is Jesus. We're in church, the answer must be Jesus. And the answer was Jesus, which is fine. I was like, okay, so what do you believe about Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus to be? And so we talked about that. Why do we need Jesus? So we ended up going all the way from Jesus back to the beginning and saying, well, okay, creation in the beginning was. What do we think about the fall? And then we reached the point where we said, well, it's the last one where we're discussing this for now. What do we believe happens next? And Stuart confused us all because he's been and studied theology. Um, no, he didn't really. He did study theology, but he didn't confuse us. But he put out some interesting ideas and had us kind of going, oh my goodness. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Revelation. It's one that if you were in a Pentecostal church, people would go to and they go, Revelation talks about the end times and the glory of God and the wonder and it's exciting and all these things are going to happen and it's going to be great. If you're in an evangelical church, a Baptist church like ours, we go, I've heard about the book of Revelation. I've heard stories. I've heard rumours about this book. 
I've heard interesting things. But I don't go there because it's kind of scary. It, to- it talks in language that I don't understand. It's got images and pictures of, of beasts, of glory, of angels. It talks about a new heaven, a new earth. What does that mean? I don't understand it. So the best thing for me to do is to know that it's there and to just leave it there. And I'll focus on the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John were safe for those. Maybe a, bit of, maybe a few of Paul's letters. But Revelation, that's pretty out there. So we'll just kind of leave it on the shelf. It's a wonderful book. If you've not read it, I encourage you to read it. And I encourage you to read it trying to clear your head of all the stuff you may have been told about it. And to read it as you might read any of the other parts of the Bible. Because if you read the Gospels, you don't think, when it says, and Jesus arrived in Bethlehem, or Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem and Jesus was born in a stable, you don't think, well maybe you do, oh let me try and get an image of that, that must be like... um, well, I've been to a farm, I know what a stable looks like. So it was probably, like when we went to Hounslow Urban Farm last summer, some of us went, it, they, had a, they had like a stable there and things, and, and it was kind of open sides and really drafty, and there were animals in one bit and different animals in others, and, it was, and then they had a house over the way. Maybe, you've, maybe that's the image you've got of the stable. I don't know. But what you do, if you read the Bible, and those of us that are, go off to study it, you go, well, actually, was it really like that? Was it like Hounslow Urban Farm or one of the other farms that we have around us? No. Probably wasn't. Well, what was it like then? Well, it was probably actually a house. Because what you did in Bethlehem at that time was you didn't have a separate house and stable, like kind of down the bottom of the garden or something. It was part of the house. In fact, it was the centre of the house was where you kept the animals because they kept things warm. And so you didn't necessarily sleep in there, but it was a warm central part of where you lived. And so when Mary and Joseph arrive, and so people are saying, no, sorry, no, no, no space. All this. What that one innkeeper does is says, yeah, we've got some space. We haven't got a bed, sorry about that. But the warmest and the most central part of our house, you can come in there. It changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? You suddenly have a different image than perhaps you had from the story you've been told growing up or even the one that when we do the kind of traditional nativity. When you read Revelation, you have to kind of understand some of those things too. It was written at a certain time to a certain group of people. And so there are things in it that are relevant to that time and that people. But there's also kind of a double layer of the prophetic that does talk about what things will be like. There'll be no more pain and suffering. I love that. One of the things that Stuart said when uh, when we were talking about (coughs) Revelation and talking about actually I guess our hopes for what end times might be like and when we're in heaven whatever that might be like because he said I hope there's work I hope there's things to do because actually I like part of who I am and part of what I do is that there's something to do my mum happened to be visiting she was there and she was thinking do you know what I've worked 
I'm glad it's nice to have retired. I don't want to work. And she'd never contemplated the idea that there might be things to do and ways to serve one another. And actually, we might all enjoy our work. I don't know. I don't know what image you've got. Maybe you're just in complete adoration and praise the whole time. And you're just stood in glory forever and ever and ever. And you see Jesus and, and that's enough. I also don't know what image, what understanding you have of whatever hell might be like. There's different understandings, there's different ideas amongst Christians, amongst Baptists. Some think that it must be an actual place and there'll be this burning fiery sulphur as we just read about and that actually be continual suffering for those who don't follow Christ forever and ever and ever. Maybe that's the image that you've got. Maybe hell, though, is just an end. There is no more. After, after this life, hell is nothing. There's no God, there's no nothing. So just an end. Maybe hell's somewhere in between. I don't know, people have got different ideas and understandings from things you've heard, your own background. I don't know. I hope I never find out, to be honest, what hell is like. I don't really know what heaven's going to be like. I can kind of get various pictures. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I've got a hope for it. And it's all very well having a hope for those things. My question for myself and for us is, well, what do we do with that then? So if you've got this idea that hell is this horrible burning sulfur and there's some sort of soul suffering in eternal torment and then well it's okay because we're saved so we know Jesus and we're going to be in glory we don't have to worry about it what does that say about our care and love for those who don't know Jesus because we've got a short amount of time some of us have got a bit longer than others at the moment but if they're really going to be in this fiery burning torment, why on earth are we not making sure they're not? If, if there's just an end, the other end of the spectrum, it, it just, life finishes. You're not with God. But it's okay, because we're in heaven. Because we're saved. And we get to catch up with those folk that have gone before us, and that'll be nice. But we're not worrying about those that just come to an end. What, is, what does that mean for us now? And what does it say about God? What is our understanding or idea of heaven or hell? Tell us about God. This God who gave up everything. Who, in the form of a baby, was laid in a manger. Because he loved the world didn't come to judge, but to save. Talk about Jesus being the light of the world. If he came to do that, and he has the power and the authority to ensure that there is no more pain and suffering, why would, why would it be allowed? I have all sorts of thoughts and ideas, and Stuart's helped me out with that considerably in the last few weeks, as I think, well, what is heaven and hell like? 
And perhaps, perhaps it doesn't matter to you. Perhaps it's something you've never really contemplated. But at some point, our time on this earth will come to an end. We know that. We have loved ones who we've said goodbye to this year. See you later. And we have got a hope that we will see them again, and that is great. But I wonder what it does for us, as individuals, as family, as a church, about saying, can we offer that hope to others? Now Bill goes out and gives out leaflets and tracts on the street. I, I, don't, that, I don't feel that's my calling. And that's fine. Bill does it. Great. I don't know what each of you do. Some of you do things in different ways. We've got a church vision. And on the church vision, last year we talked about getting our house in order. So we've been working through the joys of policies and procedures and the way we have the building and we're working out how we welcome members and all that kind of, the behind the scenes stuff that until you're involved in the church you don't really have to pay attention to. And nobody really wants to because it's fairly dull. But it means that we can do the things that we want to do. Our, our vision for now, we're in the middle of it, is not getting our house in order but getting out. It's about thinking about life beyond these four walls beyond this hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And so we have, we've had people, in some ways, we've, we've gone out, but we've brought people in, so we've had nursery rhymes, we've had coffee morning, and we've had a few things. There's different ways of doing evangelism. Some of it, I don't like. Some of it scares me, I'll be honest. I don't want to stand on a street corner. It terrifies me. I don't necessarily know that it's always helpful but showing love, showing compassion. And as Jesus came into our world, I believe that we're called to go into the world of others. And my hope for tomorrow, for the future, is as a church, that we grow in confidence, that we grow in faith, so that we don't keep it to ourselves, but that the hope we have we are able to share with other people. Not by trying to be like somebody else, but being just as God created us to be. And some of us will be quiet, and we will share quietly. Some of us will be a bit louder, and a bit more boisterous. If Rosie was here, I'd say something about being creative, and using drama, and all sorts of things. Some of you, that would terrify you. You don't have to do it that way. God made each of us differently, uniquely. But it's my hope that we get to learn about our different gifts, that we get to encourage and equip and empower one another so that the thing that we know to be true, the love and care and compassion of God, who was willing to come as a baby into this world and then to go on and to lay down his life so that we might live. We might 
ourselves be vulnerable enough to go into other people's worlds and to share that same love and compassion by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that when we do get to heaven, whatever that might be like, we do have those people coming up to us and saying, Helen, Phil, Margaret, Peggy, Malcolm, Jackie, Carol, it's great to see you. And we'll go, I didn't know you were coming. Great to see you too. But we'll start small. We might start like that vulnerable baby. Completely powerless. Completely reliant on others. But going to grow up and make a difference in this world.